Well, we are going to finish our Advent series today. Uh, this month, we've been on a journey through uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, that one verse has outlined um, every Sunday, and we've been looking at these titles that were given to Jesus over 600 years before he was born. That he should be called the Wonderful Counselor, the, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And today we're going to look at his title of Prince of Peace. But before we get into what that title means for us here today, I think it's important to talk about our need for peace. Because if we don't sense our need for peace, then it'll just be a title given to the Son of God, and it'll look good on a Christmas card, but it won't mean anything in our hearts and in our lives. And our need for peace comes from the beginning. Book of Genesis, quickly, soon, after the creation of all things, Adam and, and, the, and God were, were walking in the garden, and they enjoyed fellowship with one another, and, and God was going over the blessings of the garden, and he was saying to Adam, hey, see that over there? You're going to really like that. See that tree over there? You're going to really like how that tastes. And you can eat this and that water there. You're going to really enjoy that. But Adam, there's a law here. You see that tree over there? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's the one place you can't go. That's the one thing you can't eat. And if you eat of it, Adam, you will surely die. Soon after that, Adam and Eve take the law of God into their own hands and they decide to give it a try, like all of us have done in our lives at some point. Let's just test God at his words. And sure enough, immediately at the moment that they ate, shame and guilt and sin and death and suffering all entered into the human story. And with that came chaos and our need for peace. Because part of the sentence, part of the experience of death would be that Adam and Eve would be banished from the garden. This garden of Eden, this, this garden of peace would be now off limits to them. And they would now have to figure out how to live in a fallen world, a broken world, a world full of chaos. And a world in deep need of peace. That's the world we were born into. That's the world you just drove out of to be in here this afternoon. A world full of sin and death and chaos and a world deeply in need of real peace. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six says, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Later on in that same Old Testament book in Isaiah 53, Isaiah would say this, that, that he would be chastised in order to bring us peace. So this baby born in a manger was born to grow up into a man who would be chastised, who would suffer and who would inevitably die for us. So how does the birth of Jesus then connect to our need for peace in the world 
today? And here's a question, is peace even possible in a world that is drenched with sin and death? I mean, is that even possible? Because the world you left behind to come in here is still waiting for you. You're gonna leave here this afternoon and go back into that world. There's two ways to think about attaining peace, getting peace. One is external peace. This is attached to the American dream. It's the idea that if I can find an environment, a place to go where everything is calm and everything is comfortable and everything is okay, then I might find peace. And we call this vacation, <laughs> right? This is what we're after. Like nobody goes on vacation and pays a lot of money and takes off work in pursuit of more chaos. Like when you go on vacation, you want the temperature to be set to perfect and your food and your beverages to come right on time. And the only decision you want to have to make is which color flip-flops I'm going to wear today. And that's peace. But the reality is when we vacate, our normal life, we vacate into the same world that is broken and fallen and in need of peace. And so your vacations quickly get derailed. They don't go how you planned. Right? And that's external peace. But there's another way to attain peace, to get to peace, and that's an internal peace. That's the place where your heart and your mind and your soul is at rest. There's no voice of shame telling you you're not enough. There's no weight of, of guilt reminding you of all the things you've done wrong. It's a place where your soul can truly be at rest. The promise of Christmas is not a promise for external peace. It's a promise for internal peace for those who are in Christ. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul writes about this peace. In verse four, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And I want you to pay attention to that. That Greek word means the Lord is present. He's near. This is how we rejoice always. And then out of this idea that the Lord is near to us, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that means asking for what you need, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Did you know that God is excited and enjoys getting your requests? He's a good father. He loves when his children come to him the way that Paul describes it here in prayer, asking for what we need with grateful hearts. And then Paul says this, and here's what will happen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the qualifying phrase there is surpasses all understanding. That's a fancy way of saying a peace that doesn't make sense. It goes beyond what makes sense. When you have this peace, you look at the life around you and you go, I don't know why I have this peace. It doesn't make sense when I look at the external world around me 
I still see chaos, I still see brokenness, I still see sorrow, and yet there's something inside of me that is at peace. And it goes beyond what makes sense. When the prophet Isaiah wrote this down over 600 years before Jesus was born, he was prophesying that Jesus would become a baby, born as the son of God into a manger, humbly in Bethlehem, and that he would grow up to become our prince of peace. So God is promising an internal peace that doesn't make sense. It's a peace that that I can have regardless of whatever diagnosis I may be facing. It's a peace that I can have regardless of what other people think of me. It's a peace that I can have regardless of whatever possessions I might have or not have at any given moment. And so that leaves us with a question. Well, then how do I get that peace that doesn't make sense? Does anybody want that? How do I get that? I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Um, He describes um, how Jesus grew up to be our Prince of Peace. He says in verse 12, he begins with a a reminder. And he's going to be reminding the Ephesians of this fallen world they live in. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and you were strangers to the covenants of the promise. Listen to this phrase, having no hope and without God in the world. Sounds like the fallen world we live in, doesn't it? A world without hope and a world without God. He says this in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you who were once banished into this fallen world have been what? You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Near to who? Near to what? Well, just remember this, that of all the things that sin has impacted in our human experience, Arguably, the greatest impact has been the relationship that we had with God before sin. That sin now separates, it's a dividing wall between us and God. But, but that's not it, is it? Like, immediately Adam and Eve were at odds. And so we know that the sin is also a wall between you and me. And so Paul is saying, hey, remember that. Remember the impact of sin and death in the world. That sin has caused a broken relationship with God and with one another. And here's what he's about to say. Jesus has done something to bring us near to himself and near to God. And now Paul is going to give us the secret to this internal peace of Christ. He says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He himself is is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh that dividing wall that we just talked about. So what Jesus did on the cross through the tearing of his flesh, the giving of his flesh, the dying on the cross was to tear down that wall that divides us from one another and ultimately divides us from God. But did you you see the source of peace? 
Did you, did you see what Paul said? Jesus didn't just come to give us peace. He himself is our peace. I want us to think about this part very carefully. Peace is a person. Peace is a person. Jesus didn't come to the world like an Amazon delivery guy and drop off some peace at your, at your front door. He himself is our peace. So if you want peace, you're only going to find it in the person of Jesus. Not in something he left behind, not in something that he's gonna mail to you, but in himself, in his presence, we find peace. The baby born in a manger came to the world to be our Prince of Peace. That in him we could find an internal peace that doesn't make sense in this world we live in. 1 John 1.14 says that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That was the Prince of Peace coming into the world to bring his presence so that we might truly have peace. There are two realities about this peace. And here's the first reality. The first reality is that the only way to experience this internal peace while living in a fallen, broken world is to be in the presence of Jesus. Okay, so it's not this room that's gonna give you peace or whatever church you call home. It's not in being super religious unless that religion leads you to a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a person and peace will only be found in his presence. Here's the second reality and this one's gonna sound strange, but I want you to hold with me today. The second reality is this. It's important to acknowledge that it's impossible to have true peace in this life without some measure of sadness and longing. Okay, so that nirvana peace that you're wanting to be swept away into a world where everything is, is good and right and peaceful is not gonna happen in this life. So the second reality is this, to have the peace that Jesus is offering, it's gonna come with it a sense of sadness and a sense of longing. So why is sadness included in having peace? How can we have peace and sadness at the same time? I want you to think of it this way. Sadness is the emotion of acceptance. The reality is that when we experience this internal peace of Jesus, while we still dwell in a world of brokenness and chaos, it creates sadness. Jesus himself wept over the brokenness he saw in the world. The sadness is this. It is accepting the reality that nothing in this world is as it should be. And even while our hearts are at peace, 
the world around us is not. But the sadness is also gonna create a longing. A longing for a better home and a better land. A longing to have the full presence of God forever and uninterrupted. The peace we receive through the first coming of Jesus, listen to this, creates a longing for his return. We long for a home, a place where we can have internal peace and external peace. We long for a land where all things are made new again and the peace we have internally is in harmony with the world we live in. The sadness of living in a fallen world causes our hearts to long for God to make his dwelling place with man again. We long to get back to the garden where we walk in the blessings of God's presence and where there is no more tears and there is no more sorrow. That's the longing in all of our hearts here this afternoon. Did you know that when you go on vacation, that's actually what you're longing for? Wouldn't it be so nice to go and find that and not have to go back to the chaos? It's coming for you. And I mean that in a good way. It is coming, but only in the return of Jesus at his second advent. The real gift of Christmas, let's talk through this. The real gift of Christmas is the peace of Jesus' presence in your life. So we're gonna talk about what that means and what that looks like. So even while the world around you is still struggling in chaos, you can be sad for the brokenness you see while you also have the internal peace of Jesus' presence that doesn't make sense. So let's talk now about how we get it. How do you get this peace that Jesus is offering? How do you get the peace that the Prince of Peace came to give to you and to me? Jesus is inviting you to bring your real self to him today. Did you know that? Not the one that's all dolled up and made up and looks like it has everything together. The real you. The you that doesn't always have it together that rarely feels like he or she is enough. The you that ends, ends the day feeling like you fell short in most categories. So let's talk about what that looks like. If you feel sad this Christmas, I want you to know it's okay to feel sad. Take your sadness to the presence of Jesus. If you feel lonely, isolated this Christmas, I want you to know it's okay to feel your loneliness and then take your loneliness to the presence of Jesus. If you're hurting this Christmas, something is aching inside of you, it's okay to feel your hurt and then take your hurt into the presence of Jesus. That's what it looks like to bring your real self. If you're excited, you're full of gladness, it's okay to feel glad even while somebody else in the room may be feeling sad. Take your gladness to the presence of Jesus. Take whatever you have going on in your heart into the presence of Jesus. And he will meet you with his presence. Listen to this. 
and give you the perfect peace that doesn't make sense. That's how you get it. If you're here with us this afternoon and you've never come to the place in your life, I don't know the answer to this. The person sitting next to you may not even know the answer to this. But if you've never come to the place in your life where you've taken a step of faith towards Jesus, to trust him for who he is, to trust him for what he's done for you, to trust him as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know this. The promise of the Bible is this, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, say it church, saved. saved. That's the promise of Christmas for you here this afternoon. To call on his name and you will be saved. And this is the beginning of perfect peace. As we think about wrapping up here today, I want to consider another gift. We've talked about the gift of Christmas and what Jesus has come to give to you. Now I want to talk about the gifts that we're going to give. As you think about leaving here this afternoon and like traveling to see friends and family, I want you to think about what you're bringing with you. For all your planning and your shopping and trying to find the perfect gifts to give, I want us to remember that the greatest gift, and this is gonna sound so cliche, but it is so true, the greatest gift you can give to your family and your friends is the same gift Jesus has given to you. As you enjoy the presence of Jesus this Christmas, you can also give something meaningful to those you love. It is the gift of being present. I want you to hear that. They're gonna get excited about whatever you gave them or pretend to be excited. But if the, but if the excitement gauge on their heart, if you could see it, it's gonna go like this and then it's quickly gonna go back to here. Unless you, like me, have ordered a gift and it hasn't come in yet, then there's going to be some delay. <laughs> but the greatest gift you can give to those you love tonight and tomorrow will be the gift of your presence. And here's what I want you to hear. The only way to do this is you're going to have to take time to slow down. You're going to have to take time to slow down and actually pay attention to what's going on inside of you and then create enough space to pay attention to what's going on inside of the people that you're gonna be spending time with. What's really going on? Amidst all the gifts, food, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Lean in towards the people that you're with and be present. As we get ready to, to pray and to sing a couple more songs together, um, we're gonna sing a song um, called Noel. Like I said, Christmas has its own language, right? What other time of year do you use that word and how many of us actually know what that word means? It's actually uh, a, a Latin-rooted word, natalis, uh, which means birth. So just so you know, Noel means birth. So when you sing that, you're celebrating the birth of the Prince of Peace.
And so I'm going to pray for us now, and our worship team's going to come back out, and we're going to stand together and sing that as the church. Let's pray.